Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season five, episode four. Coming to you today from Colorado Springs, most of us, uh, as we're recording this, I had a contact with someone who had COVID. I'm doing just fine and tested negative, but I am sealed in a box for 14 days, quarantining. So Alan could not come and we could not uh, do this in the studio, so we're back on Zoom. But uh, some of us are in Colorado Springs, home of mule deer especially on the west side of Colorado Springs, where they wander the streets and yards, and they're apt to run right out in front of you, and you say, oh, dear. Oh, my. Oh, my. Right. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. Well, that was then. a doozy. Uh, yeah. Terry, yeah. church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, uh, Eastern PA Director of Multiplication, and uh, I love the Northeast, to be honest. Uh, as much as I appreciate your apt descriptions of Colorado Springs, uh, I really love the Northeast, and I'm thankful that God has uh, planted me in this part of the country. I, I have a heart for it, so here I am. It's great. Spent, spent a fair bit of time there myself. Can't argue with you, my friend. So, uh, Caitlin is also with us, our trusty producer. Good morning, Caitlin. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time it is where people are listening. You know, it, we're, we're doing it. it. We're doing it. No matter what time it is, we're here for you. So, we are, that's what we, we do. Are, we are a 24-7 podcast. Listen anytime you'd like. Wow. So, Alan. And that you, differentiates us from other podcasts, for sure. Yeah, so, yes. <laughs> Alan. You need to be on your best behavior today because our guest for this episode is our Alliance president, John Stumbo. Oh, I'm sure you'll set me up well to be on my best behavior, Terry. I'm sure I will. So we're going to be talking to John about his new book called A Stained Beauty, uh, The Church, Ancient and Present. So we're going to talk about the church. John has a passion for the church that uh, comes through loud and clear he sure does. in uh, this new book. So. Um, any introductory comments that you would like to uh, make, Alan? I got to say, I, as soon as I got the PDF version of it, like even just the title was intriguing to me. And I think that'll become obvious why and why it's a great title as we have the interview. So, Indeed. So grab yourselves a red lightning, not to be confused with white lightning. Yes, red, please don't red, grab that. Red lightning was a soft drink from my... Uh, childhood days. I believe it was a strawberry cream soda. It could have been a cherry cream soda. Whatever it was, it was absolutely delicious, and I wish <laughs> I could put my hands on one right now. You're making it really hard for our listeners to get a drink before they listen, Terry. I am. Say. I'm sorry. They're going to have to go in a time machine on this one. So, <laughs> sit back. Relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. 
If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. Well, it's our pleasure to welcome back to Equipping You Podcast, John Stumbo, President of the Alliance. John, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. It's always a pleasure, Terry. I get to be with him this time. Last time I was uh, the guy out, not at Resonate. Right. You, you were laying on a beach in North Carolina the last time we talked to John. I cannot deny that truth. So that's, that's less than admitting it, but we'll take it. That's a visual <laughs> I don't know that I needed right now, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we should move on then. <laughs> so uh, let's try to bring this thing back into control. And uh, John... Uh, tell us, if you would, a little bit about your spiritual journey, your early connections to the church, how you came to faith in Christ, and uh, maybe a couple of leaders who uh, influenced you early on. Thanks, Terry. You know, I had the joy and pleasure of growing up in a Christian home that really did reflect the character of Christ. And my dad was my pastor for the first 15 years of my life until he became a district superintendent. And Pastor Paul was not only a pastor to our church, but the whole community, Paul Stumbo. And uh, so he was a great model of a Christian leader and what it was to be a pastor who really loved being a pastor. And uh, then, uh, so my early journey was uh, discovering young that I didn't have a relationship with Christ, but needed one. And uh, so kneeling by, well, after my dad preached one Sunday evening service, and I felt convicted, I I prayed with my parents, so that was the beginning of my faith journey as a grade school boy, and I got challenged in my high school years, and some have heard my testimony that life, 1976, was a powerful experience for me under the preaching of Dr. Wendell Grout and uh, Dr. King and others, and so powerful time in my life there. Then went off to Crown College, studied, uh, going to ministry, and Steve Hammer was a pastor in my home church back Steve in Hammer. Minnesota. Wow. Yes, uh, Pennsylvania yeah. uh, was as well there, Alan. Absolutely. And Steve was Steve a major influence in my life. Yeah, Steve gave me my first job as a youth pastor, but it was more than just a first job as a youth pastor. It was another mentoring relationship where I watched um, him uh, prayerfully work through difficult situations and express total dependence upon God in a manner that I had not seen a leader do. And so uh, that was, those were the formative eras and people of my life. I did not know we had that in common at all. Steve was my introduction to the Alliance, really. And every Sunday night at Lancaster Alliance Church, while I was a student at LBC, he spoke on the deeper life every Sunday night. And it shaped me. I had, it was totally new to me, and I'm so thankful for Steve. Didn't know we had that in common. That's pretty cool. So uh, part of our motivation, aside from you being our wonderful prez of uh, the our Alliance family, uh, is your, your forthcoming book, Stained Beauty. Uh, and I'm really interested uh, in our listeners, and Terry and I have read it, and I'm 
very encouraged about it. But I'm curious about your prompting to write it, its title, uh, who you hope reads it. You know, every, I think every author hopes for some kind of impact. What kind of impact are you hoping for? Thanks, Alan. And I was uh, speaking to our Alliance missionaries from Russia in the country of Greece. They had found a place to host their conference, and I was the invited speaker a couple years ago. Had a free afternoon uh, and uh, found myself for the first time in the setting where the Apostle Paul had, you know, traveled those waters and hillsides. And I wasn't trying to retrace his steps, but I was in the context. And I opened up my laptop, and sometimes when I write, I don't really have an intended purpose. I just need to get something out of my heart. And on that particular afternoon, I just quickly typed out about 1,800 words, and it felt fresh and good to get it out of my soul and onto a page. But then I closed my laptop lid and said, oh, no, I just wrote the introduction to a book I never planned on writing. I just knew that God was birthing something in me, and I was being given an assignment in this land of Paul's, you know, uh, ministries. And so that launched a two-year uh, study of the book of Acts. Well, I did a deep dive, and uh, one of the oddities of the book is I have almost no other sources. <laughs> it's not an academic um, book. It's uh, it, The intended audience is the Alliance Church pastor, elder board, layperson, and maybe somebody else who's out there who got disenfranchised by the church through the years. And so it's, it's, it's meant for a popular audience in the sense that it's not um, you know, scholarly, but it's thoroughly researched, research from the scripture and from my heart. So I trust that, um, you know, I would love it if every elder board in the CMA uh, would um, use it as a study guide for this next year as we're all rethinking what it means to be church. Part of the fascinating thing for me, Alan and Terry, is that, that uh, all of this was written pre-COVID. 100% was written pre-COVID. But now with COVID, we're kind of stepping back and saying, what does he mean to be the church? Mm -hmm. I feel like the timeliness of this is uh, perfect for that discussion. And then David Hearn wrote the foreword. And so I've kept a North American context in mind, the president of the, of the Canadian Alliance. And I hope that that's used outside of the Christian Missionary Alliance community, but it is kind of an, an alliance resource in that sense. Yeah. Well, that would be a good point for us to note that just like your other books, uh, all the proceeds go to the Great Commission Fund. Uh, so, you know, actually, it's a great backdoor way for our pastors and church leaders to support our international workers. So that's a win-win. And that's made possible because a couple of donors believed in this and said, we'll pay for the printing. We'll pay for, uh, pay for the design and all that so that when the sale comes, the monies can go right to the Alliance. So uh, embedded even a little bit in the title, John, when you, when you use the word stained, um, what are some of the misperceptions that we have about the New Testament church that if we clear those up, might, hap might, might help even our own expectations about the church in our day and time? Well, so often when I was a young guy hearing about the church preached, uh, I would feel this uh, deep sense of guilt and shame that, you know, uh, we weren't measuring up to the church in Jerusalem and Acts 2. And so, you know, try harder, work harder. And in my study, I realized, wait a minute, that was a short-lived story. 
before the New Testament is done, the Church of Jerusalem is an impoverished, you know, a minimized church compared to the early glory days. So even that model of, you know, church glory was a momentary season, you know, for them. And, and so trying to step back and take an honest assessment of what church was like in that day. So another misperception is that, you know, the seven churches of Revelation and capture all of what it was to be the New Testament church. And so you got Laodicea and you got Sardis and all those. And, and that's great. You know, I, I have a chapter on, on the seven churches, but, but uh, so often overlooked are the churches of Crete. When have you ever read a chapter on the churches of Crete or Antioch? <laughs> and finding out that the church was more complex, more beautiful, and yes, every church had its issues. And so I found myself, as I studied this, to have some of that shame of, of, of measurement, comparison reduced, and some of the freedom to just uh, appreciate each church in its local context and say, this is what God's always done. He's never had a one size one style fits all for, for church. He's never had that. He's, uh, he's always wanted the church to be a local expression. And so uh, for me, it was a freeing study. But then, you know, so the title, A Stained Beauty. <laughs> In my introduction, I'm wrestling with this crazy thing called the church. I've been called to serve the church my entire life. And I love her and hate her simultaneously. She's the most fabulous thing on the planet in some ways, accomplishing more to, to spread love and kindness and grace on this planet than any other entity that's ever been created while causing just inexcusable atrocities and, un, you know, just as horrible mistakes, missteps, and downright blatant sins that we have committed through the years and centuries. So to be honest about that and an honest assessment of church past and present, one of the chapters, I, I give a full-blown apology to Anybody who's been damaged by the church, by church leaders, I, I have to own that as the church leader myself, that, that um, sometimes we've abused our power. And so Church of Philippi, I get into the whole conversation of power and express some apology there as best I can as a Christian leader. So, so uh, Terry, misperceptions, you know, one size fits all, or they're all supposed to be alike, or we're all supposed to be like Jerusalem or whatever, and just getting freed up. <laughs> To, to say, no, God's plan is far more complex and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciated that so much. To, uh, your, <laughs> I would say your talk about Jerusalem was really freeing for me because I definitely felt that, like, oh, wow, we don't measure up to that. You know, that is like, but you bringing that out and talking about it, what it was later, is a very was very freeing. I think it will be for a lot of our pastors and church leaders as well. So I look forward to them reading that. So in your chapter you're writing on Antioch and you have this subplot about Barnabas and including Saul slash Paul uh, in the ministry there. Can I give us a summary of that story and um, you know how what can leaders for today's church learn from that? So Jerusalem was the first church as we all know and then uh, Antioch becomes the second one that we know much about in the scriptures and they're the renegades. They're the mavericks. They're the entrepreneurs. New things are happening. The gospel's extending. This is the first place that anybody's called a Christian. And so, and they're, and they're crossing the, the boundaries from, 
Jew to Gentile. And so, you know, Jerusalem's got to go check this out. So they send Barnabas up to, to investigate. And, but you'd expect Barnabas to go home after he does the investigation and gives him a good report. But he doesn't go home. The, the, the barrier breaker is not only willing to break the barriers of ideas and concepts, he's willing to break the barriers and, and go in pursuit of somebody who's being overlooked as a minister of the gospel. And so he goes to tracks down Saul before anybody else gives Saul an opportunity, Barnabas does. So, so some of Mavericks deal in ideas. Uh, some Mavericks deal in people. And you find both with the Antioch church. And because of Barnabas, because of that church, we now have Saul that enters the scene into the future storyline. And so, Alan, to be straight, I get frustrated sometimes that we drive away our Mavericks. We don't know what to do with the entrepreneurial church leader who's out there on the edge and is, is pushing the edges, uh, the limits, and, you know, doesn't always communicate real well about it. <laughs> uh, well, Sadly that's, true. The way the, that's the way the gospel is often advanced, is through these barrier-breaking kind of people. And, yeah, you know, maybe they need to communicate a little better or, you know, show a little patience once in a while for people who can't quite keep up with their next a dream, next idea, or, or next investment, but uh, we, we can't just drive away all the mavericks, so that's part of the passion of that chapter on Antioch, is mm-hmm. how to include the renegades, <laughs> keep them engaged in the, in the kingdom and the family. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff, thanks. Alan has heard me say several dozen times, <laughs> newsflash, people in the church don't always get along, and uh, it, it's true that conflict seems to be inevitable in the church and uh, can be handled in good ways, can be handled in bad ways. You give this formula in your book, John, conflict plus carnality equals carnage. Explain that formula, if you would, and point us toward a better way. As you said, Terry, conflict is inevitable. And what I didn't realize as a young pastor was conflict's not the problem. Conflict's actually an opportunity those irritating people from peacemakers. <laughs> and conflict's actually an opportunity for the kingdom to advance, for us to understand each other better, for us to learn how to communicate better, for God to be glorified, for relationships to deepen. Conflict's an opportunity. And, and, um, but the problem is not conflict. The problem is carnality. Mm. And when we handle conflict with a self-serving, self-seeking, self-defending, self-protecting, this self-advancing kind of way, and then, okay, we're going to have carnage. And how many church board meetings? There was conflict. Sure there was. But it met up with carnality, and that's when everything started to unravel and the church no longer exists, or um, you, as a district superintendent or district staff, have to come in and you know, try to bring some peacemaking resolution skills to it. So... I love that the New Testament is so honest. It doesn't, you know, paint a prettier picture than needed to be painted. God's glorified. The church is beautiful, but she's a mess. It's sustained beauty from the very beginning. And so you see these conflicts that arise and, and um, how Paul, you know, tries to walk these churches through these. And, and you, you read that there are, and the national office, excuse me, the CMA right now is, is living this out. This, this excites me. 
because we're we're finishing up these national conversations, getting ready for council, and how we we knew Terry that we were raising subjects of disagreement. We were walking right into the points of conflict, saying. We know we're not doing this blindly. <laughs> we know we don't agree on premillennialism. We know we don't agree on the polity regarding certain things. And that's okay. Conflict is not the problem. Disagreement's not the problem. And the Alliance family has been showing that we can actually disagree well to have hard conversations with grace. And so I know you've been encouraged by that as well. No doubt, Tinda. You know, by the time our listeners listen to this, 2020 will be in a past, and a lot of people will be thankful for that. A lot of pastors got tired uh, mentally, emotionally in 2020, uh, some still carrying into that into 2021, no doubt. Uh, but how, how would you suggest that pastors can end up persevering like Barnabas and Paul instead of giving up uh, like John Mark did? Well, all three of us have been pastors for most of our lives. And I don't know of a more difficult year than 2020. And discouragement is a common response, partially because some of us don't, still don't know Sabbath practices well, which saddens me because Sabbath is one of God's great gifts to us for sustainability, to not always be having to solve, fix, uh, be available, but to hear God's permission um, to one day in seven, not achieve, accomplish, or attain. So, um, But uh, to, your, to your question, there's never been an easy moment to be a pastor. There's never been an easy moment to plant the church. There has never been a time in history where we, we get the easy button. And so uh, not to belittle the difficulty of the last year, uh, at the same time, Uh, say that the principles hold in spite of the context of COVID, economy, injustice, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The principles still hold, and that is the church is the epicenter of God's work in this world. That's probably one of the core themes of the whole book, is that the church is the epicenter of God's work in this world. It's where he's chosen to focus his, his uh, blessing and calling. And, and so when we give ourselves again afresh and new to the church, we're giving ourselves to that which is dear to the heart of God, which was Christ's idea, which is his plan. And so it's not just extraneous to the gospel story. It's not just, oh, by the way, in the scripture. No, the, this is... This is God's mission, his design for the church to persevere. And to, and so to the pastor out there listening who's on the edge of, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Well, maybe you do need a break of some kind. Certainly you need to learn Sabbath as a weekly rhythm. But don't give up on the plan altogether because it continues to be, the church continues to be God's plan for the forwarding of, of his love and message in this world. Mm-hmm. And then I'd, one more thing that I'd say is, is there's seasons. And some seasons are easier and harder than others, but the nature of seasons is they pass. 
And so sometimes we miss the greatest God moments because we gave up in a dark season and thought, no, forget it. It's just not going anywhere. And so to pray one more prayer and to stay one more day and to preach one more sermon and to love one more neighbor and one more board member and to conduct yourself in a godly manner one more time, fruitfulness comes from perseverance. Yes. So persevere, my friends. Amen. Thanks for that encouraging word. Yeah, great encouraging word. So, John, you asked a question in your book, are we exegeting our culture as we design our ministries? Talk to us about what exegeting our culture looks like and uh, why is it important that every church is unique? Well, one of the benefits of being a First Testament, a first century New Testament church was they didn't have 60 manuals for how everybody was supposed to do church <laughs> yeah. or uh, all this. Uh, they had to go into community and figure it out because there was there weren't you know all these templates and models and you know all that. So uh, I'm being a little facetious, obviously, and I'm thrilled for all the resources that are available to us today. But one of the obvious downsides is that we think that we must do it like somebody else did it, or that we can do it like somebody else has done it. And we fail to understand our own community. And so to, to come in, whether your community is, you know, a couple dozen people in the cornfields, or whether your community is a couple million people, um, you know, in an urban center, it, it's hard to exegete a few million people. But uh, to focus it down of who has God called us to reach, and do I understand that community well? Um, the, the social dynamics, the, the communication dynamics, who who actually is making decisions around here? Um, how does this community function? And uh, uh, to, to not just impose some other plan on, on your church's community, but to seek God together for um, what are the um, dynamics of that community and having done so do not think your job is done Terry you and I have been on site visits for the relocation of the CMA's national office and I need to be generic how I tell the story but we looked at one property that uh, was actually large enough to be the national office of the CMA and then some uh, that had been built by a pastor in one lifetime, went from almost nothing as a church to this massive building, and then back. Now that building is for sale for almost nothing, yeah. pennies on the dollar. It's for sale. And in one lifetime, you saw the rise and fall. And it's not because of moral failure. That happens sometimes. It's not because the only reason was, in my vantage point, because they failed to continue to exegete the community. Meaning, they built a church in a community that changed around them, and they didn't adapt in any way to that community to love the newer residents. They just started to drive farther and farther, farther to their church until people weren't willing to drive anymore. And so now the vision has ended and the building's for sale. And, uh, you know, and so that was in one man's lifetime. <laughs> So, yes, maybe you understood your community very well 20 years ago when you moved there. Well, can you speak articulately 
for the different people groups that have come in and how you're adjusting accordingly. And then can you speak articulately for how now that's changing your school district and your school board and all that. So, so just that local awareness and willingness to bring the gospel fresh to each season that comes not only to your church, but to your town or region. I think one of the um, little phrases that captured me is actually uh, toward the conclusion of the book uh, where you call the church stained but sustained. Uh, and one of the ways it's been sustained is by the words that Jesus has given to his church, both the ones that we have written and I think, you know, the specific words God has given leaders to change their church. Uh, you really, you had a really fresh take on, on God's, on Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus uh, on their first love. Uh, tell us about that, and how's that a need for the church today? Well, one of the pleasures for me of writing this book, Alan, is I got to, you know, kind of uh, blow up some of the, uh, the teachings that uh, have irritated me through the years, and uh, that's one of them, because every time I heard the first love thing taught, it was, you know, we need to return to the love we first had for Christ. And that may be what the Greek is saying. It's possible. But there's some like me who says, I love Jesus more today than I ever did when I first came to know him. Because when I first came to know him, I was just trying to get out of hell. <laughs> it wasn't about this. Yes. For me too. <laughs> so this, this go back to your first love thing never worked for me. And so I was just, uh, I've been irritated by some of the sermons I've heard by that uh, as if, and it's going back, going back. I don't see a lot of that, you know. Anyway, uh, so I'm studying the Greek more. I came to the firm conclusion that it's also possible to translate that phrase as your priority love, the most important love, not chronologically of necessarily something you had before, but that which has the greatest precedent in your heart. And so if you want to find the superlatives of the Bible, the most greatest, best words, just look for the word love and you'll find those kind of words. And so that uh, our first love, that which I love more than anything, the greatest love. Uh, so it, it, it took me forward looking in my pursuit of Christ rather than backwards looking as if like it was that. some glory day that I was supposed to try to drum up emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Good, good words. I so appreciate that section of the book. Well, Alan, what's, what you're encouraging me with here is that uh, you guys have actually read the book. Thank you. And, and uh, you're, you've been processing it and, you know, some of your ahas were, I'm glad you picked those up. Can, can I just throw it? Uh, you're the interviewers, but can I just turn the tables for a minute? By the way, I'm the By all means. So I'm gonna <laughs> what are we going to say? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but, but I'd be intrigued for the listeners to know what was a takeaway or two that, that you uh, walked away from the book thinking about. I think for me, the, one of the biggest takeaways was uh, we look back on the early church and see all the great things that happened, but just as the church is a stained beauty now, it was a stained beauty then. Yeah. Uh, a church is made up of people, and we're always going to have uh, imperfections and challenges and uh, growing edges and, and, and all of those things. 
and that's okay. There is not this standard of perfection laid out in the book of Acts or First Corinthians or wherever that we have to live up to. As you said, the New Testament is very honest about the church, and I think that takes some pressure off of us. You know, we don't want to have too low of expectations, obviously, either. We want to aspire to great th- things and be all that Christ wants us to be, but it's a journey. We're a work in process, and that's okay. The same was true of the early church. Hey, that encourages me because uh, one of the <laughs> fears uh, that I had in writing a book like this is that I- I've read too much ministry material that I close it and I say, yeah, further proof. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. And it just puts a, you know, like another weight on me of, of well, yeah, somebody's doing it better than I am. And, and I'm just not, I, 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 you know, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't want to, uh, I want to leave people encouraged <laughs> uh, and strengthened and heartened and not feeling more weighted. Because every pastor I know that is serious about the role that God's called them to already feels the weight of responsibility. We don't need that loaded on us more. What we need is feeling hope and strength and encouragement. So I'm glad for your response. Alan, can I throw it to you? Uh, you sure you can. I hate to go junior high on this and say, you stole my answer. But <laughs> honestly, I, it, that, uh, and I kind of mentioned this before about the comments about Jerusalem church. That was just so relieving. Uh, just to know, just to even think about the Jerusalem church as, is certainly being descriptive of God's great work there, but to recognize it doesn't mean that our ministries are going to be identical to them or that we even should try for it to be identical to it. To learn from it is a wonderful thing. And to stand in awe of God's majestic and powerful work there is awesome. But, man, the weight. Uh, and having and having people in my churches in the past, you know, say, well, why aren't we more like that? And we should meet every, not every, nobody ever asked for every day, but we should meet more often, especially on the things that they wanted. You know, all that just piled on. But I, honestly, I think at the end of the day, it's the bright spots from each church that really helps. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think you summarize that well at the end. We talk about when the church gets it right. And I can't spout off that long bulleted list, but it, it means so much because that means, I mean, when you stop and look back at all the things that God has done through the church, Jesus has done through his people, it, it, it's mind boggling. Uh, it makes you grateful. It gives you hope. Uh, and honestly, you know, as I was thinking through this, like, I, and I think a lot of pastors would share this. When you've done a series on Ephesus, you've done background work on what the Church of Ephesus, or a series on Corinthians, you've done background work. I don't think I've ever read a work that really just, and you mentioned this in the book, <laughs> part of your motivation in writing it, was that I really thought through the history of all these churches and put pieces together, or even, you know, like on Crete, for example, you know, I never really, I mean, those are great words in Titus there, you know, and I've talked about Titus 1, 5 and Paul's reason for leaving behind Titus there and how, you know, and what it was known for, the Honda Crete was known for, but to really think more about that and the context, honestly, I think it makes my reading of the test, New Testament as a whole is much more rich. And so I think that 
the book will be a service not just to the leadership of the of our elders and our churches, but for their own personal discipleship and reading of God's word going forward. Thank you. One reader has called this a harmony of acts. <laughs> We've had a harmony of the I gospels love it. before. I love that. You know? But uh, yes, no, yes. So putting together the storyline chronologically of the church. Uh, so anyway, yeah. All right, we're going to re uh, retake the host chair, John, and make you answer questions. <laughs> Only one more question, though, but I want to end with this one because I think it's uh, I think it's important. Twelve hundred and fifty or so of our alliance churches are under a hundred people. Many of them are in small towns, out of the way places. They're not on Main Street in uh, some major city. Maybe their town is shrinking. Obviously, we shouldn't just ignore those places while focusing on major urban or suburban areas. I wonder as we close uh, this episode. Do you have a word to share with those who are laboring faithfully in such places with little notoriety? So part of the delight in studying from church to church was then come to Colossae and find out that this was kind of the, the town that used to be. <laughs> and, uh, and I pictured a lot of the towns that I preached in, you know, throughout the Alliance family where the 100th anniversary at a church where they've outlived the coal industry and or the iron industry, you know, steel industry or whatever, you know, and and they're they're persevering when restaurants and businesses and schools have all closed down. I hear the church has still faithfully persevered in these towns, and I'm proud of the Alliance family for uh, you know the places that we find ourselves where the gospel is still present because the church has persevered and. And so the whole story of the Colossians church intrigued me and, and uh, how it wasn't planted by the Apostle Paul, but was t- planted by a hometown guy. And I was picturing other Alliance pastors who've come back to their hometowns, bring the gospel. And, and, uh, and then I'm also picturing all these towns across America that used to have an evangelical witness, but that evangelical church has now gone liberal. And the gospel is no longer preached, so the light still might be on physically in the church building in that rural area, but the light of the gospel is no longer being shared. And so all across rural America and North America, there are now unreached communities that have a need for somebody to go into the classes of today and say, yeah, it's never going to make the headline, you know, of, of any major news thing that, I, that, you know, this town that's tucked away that doesn't even have its own school district or whatever. But the light of Jesus needs to shine here and the gospel needs to be preached and love needs to be shown in this community. So Colossae was a chance for me. I'm a small town boy myself, you know, that's, that's the context I grew up in. And so I, I, I felt some of that. And isn't it beautiful that the New Testament story uh, it has Rome, you know, the epicenter of government. And, you know, it's not an either or, it's a both and within villages across the island of Crete or, you know, as we said, Colossus. So it, it's both rural and urban. It's both on the rise and the in decline. It's both Jew and Gentile. It's, it's both wealthy and poor. It's, it's all of it. The New Testament church is all of it. 
And so are we today in our 38 languages here in the United States and all of our contexts. And so what else besides the church has that kind of resilience? What else besides the church has that kind of uh, capacity to cross the cultural, you know, uh, nuances and linguistic nuances? So the gospel lived out through people. That's what the church is. And the light shines on. So thanks for letting me get to talk about some of that today. Ah, I love your passion just erupting there. Thank you for that. That's what we needed to end on, except to know uh, how and when can our listeners get their hands on A Stained Beauty? It's available uh, at uh, Christian Books and, uh, you know, Christian Book Distributors, those guys. Uh, if you want single copies, uh, bulk copies, uh, you can uh, contact the national office and get a better deal. By, but we can't handle the single distribution. So christianbooks.com, uh, I think, is the, the, the site. CMA office for bulk orders. On Kindle for the ebook readers. So, you know, I'm not great at marketing kind of stuff. But <laughs> somebody will pick it up on Amazon at some point, but... We don't send people there first. Yeah. So uh, as we said earlier in the podcast, your pastor, lay leader out there listening to Equipping You podcast today, let us encourage you to uh, get this book, read it, study it together, talk about it, talk about the ways that it applies to your church as you're rethinking uh, church and and, uh, responding to some of the issues that we've all faced uh, uh, during the COVID Uh, Let this book really impact uh, your local church, and uh, we would all be encouraged uh, by that. John, thanks so much for your ministry, for your leadership, and for, in the midst of your crazy life, uh, taking time to write a book. Uh, We appreciate you and appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. My gratitude to you. All right. So uh, we will... uh, Look forward to the next opportunity to chat with you about something on Equipping You Podcast, John. Well, another great uh, podcast interview. Really appreciated what uh, John had to say about uh, the church. Anything particular stick out in your mind, Alan? Absolutely. I, I loved so much of it, but, you know, the conversation about the Church of Jerusalem and the relief to recognize that the church didn't just have that one moment of glory uh, that we read about in Acts 2, or the first few chapters of Acts, but it also had a, a different story later on. In some strange way, that was very encouraging to me, uh, and I'm so thankful for that, and that uh, John brought that out. Indeed. So uh, we certainly encourage listeners to get the book, read Absolutely. it, talk about it, and in doing so, you're benefiting the Great Commission Fund at the same time. And do okay, it's great study to do with your elders, your church leaders, or anybody. You know, I know I say this uh, during our interview, but I think it's it's not just a it's not just a leadership type read. It will make your Bible reading richer, and I think help you to see read those epistles uh, with a little more insight. So, listeners, tell people about this podcast. Tell people about John's book. And uh, we really appreciate you uh, listening. We're encouraged by some of your comments. If you're not already connected to the Equipping You community on Facebook, we encourage you to uh, do that. And uh, we hope you'll listen next time. But until then, keep the faith. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.